So as Elon Musk says, align your vectors. Aligning vectors is the most simplest thing of achieving OKRs because as a team, you need to move to one direction, right? So this is gear in one product portfolio company. It's very easy to think about it. But what we understood when we were launching many products is that the CEO cannot basically make decisions by himself. It has to be pushed down. Hi, and welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast where you'll hear real stories of trials and victories in business. I'm Jenny Harold, Chief Product Officer of GTM Hub. GTM Hub is the world's most powerful platform for objectives and key results, or OKRs. In concept, OKRs are easy to understand, but challenging to execute. Until now, check us out at gtmhub.com to learn more. Srikant Vermori has held leadership roles in overseeing the design and launch of breakthrough products in the B2B, ad tech, and big data spaces for industry innovators such as Serene, Wampley, Arky, and Adkami. Currently, he's managing product and technology at Frontier Car Group as the CEO of technology. In this episode, Srikant shares what he's learned during his journey. Filled with bruises, scars, blood, tears, and his share of successes. He's got this exciting idea of balancing great product concepts and a CEO strategy. He calls it the cage fight. We discuss product management benching. He's taken the term from sports and applies it in business. Find out what he thinks PM should be doing when benched. And we spend quite a bit of time talking about OKRs and a personal KPI he monitors to gauge his team's health. He believes this KPI is foundational for OKRs to be successful. Let's jump in. I'm doing good. How are you doing? Just getting used to the crazy COVID era. So looking forward to getting back to normal. Yeah, I think the whole world is is hoping to get back to normal. It's so crazy to think that something that we cannot see, I mean, not with the naked eye anyway, <laughs> can have such a profound effect on every level and every layer yeah. of society. It, it, you, no one is immune. Did you see the TED talk of uh, Bill Gates? Like in yes. That, I, that was surreal, right? When, when you saw it, it was so like... Crazy. Crazy. Like, how could he have had that kind of foresight? I mean, he is a super intelligent and rich man for a reason. I think we all can agree to now. Yeah. Wow. It was nuts. Yeah. And and he's still like supports humanity, uh, supports Mm -hmm. uh, all those things. So I I think we were going to talk about like three different layers, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Let's get to know you more and tell our listeners a little bit about you and your kind of personal professional journey, like how do we, how do we get to yeah. to what you do now with Frontier Car Group, right? Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. First of all, it's a pleasure to share the story. Of course, there's a this journey of uh, a lot of bruises and uh, scars and blood and tears. But I guess uh, I'm originally from India. I moved to the U.S. for grad school. I have a CS. Uh, or a master's in CS and a bachelor's uh, from India. 
while doing uh, the master's program, I interned for a, for a company in Santa Clara. So I never thought that I could code something in the morning and get, deploy that in the evening. This was 2006, 2007. And that was very exciting. So that's probably where my love affair of startups started. And I was like very excited. So I went back to my professor and told him like, dude, I can't pursue a PhD. Uh, I need to get out now. But as every love affair starts, there is a heartbreak. Uh, the company, uh, by the time I, I graduated, uh, went bust. So how, how quickly did that happen? Like from the time that you made this decision, you're like, I'm ready to go and jump into this thing. How quickly did that happen? It happened in six months. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it's like, oh, I'm, my God, I mean, think about like converting an internship to a full time role. That, that was like, man, this is like really bad, which is why I say it's a love affair. And, and it's uh, and, it, and it involved a heartbreak. Golly, you know what? The market is merciless. Yeah. And, and, and luckily, you could say that this was pre 2008. Uh, so still like I, I kind of could find a job. So I moved right. to LA. Moving from Illinois to California and living in LA was nice, like living in shorts in Santa Monica. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do. I was like, okay, fine. If, if, if not Santa Clara, let me actually go to Santa Monica. Nice. Which, uh, which was nice. Uh, then realized like uh, coding, I realized very quickly that that something that didn't give me satisfaction because I never could focus on one thing. And then that's something that um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but having parents who are like my dad being a professor of computer science, he always thought that I'm just going to do a PhD and all like, so that, so that was like the black sheep of the family. You're like, surprise, dad. Surprise, not going to do it. <laughs> not going to do it. Uh, I'm going to break your heart and I promise it'll be okay. Yeah. But the thing well, that I make myself do is before going to business school, I, I thought I'll, I'll do sales, but uh, I actually ended up as a marketing analyst at a, at a company in, um, in um, Silicon Valley. Uh, this was in Foster City. You know the area, right? Foster City, yep. uh, beautiful area. When I went and interviewed, I was like, I, I love the air, love the space and overlooking the small lakes uh, right next to the Visa building. And I was like, man, this, this is somewhere I could see myself working. But it was a marketing gig, uh, did that for six months. I automated pretty much all their marketing campaigns because I was an engineer doing marketing. So, and it was right. so advertising. Right. <laughs> so in my, in my master's, I basically was, uh, was a student of semantic mining or data mining. So NLP was very close to heart. So search advertising came easy, right? Like it's like, hey, this is just words. I could do search campaigns. I'll automate this, right? Wow. Uh, so they said that, oh, like, why don't you go back to engineering? You're at the wrong place. I'm like, dude, I don't want to go back to uh, engineering. Uh, I wanted to get out of engineering. That's why I took this job. Right. And uh, they ended up saying, uh, why don't you um, get to do product? And I was like, hey, what's product? I was about what to product? say, I bet you were like, what, what, is, what is that word? <laughs> what is product? I was like, Okay, like so, accidental PM again. Uh, so awesome. journey, imagine twenty-three-year-old kid learning how to ship product, but not really shipping product. Uh, so great mentorship, awesome that I kind of got that. But uh, what happened was, uh, I actually like for the the first product I ever shipped was like two years. That's wild. 
and uh, what I learned is um, it failed. It failed miserably, and we had to get a new VP of product, and he had to tell us how to actually ship it. Uh, who's now um, his, his name was Ethan Betraski. He had to tell us how to how to get this going again, and we reshipped it again in, in, in the next few months, right? So, we, and we became better and better and better till the Walmart acquisition. I mean, if if you look at even like what I did as as somebody coming from engineering. I mean, you, you know, you, you've been in Silicon Valley, you know this, right? So the, the trend back then was like, oh, like if he, if he has a CS background, hire him as a PM. Right. This was the hottest thing back then, right? Like, where do I hire PMs from? Mm-hmm. Like business school guys were like, eh, don't really want them. We really want people who are techie and we need that kind of people. Uh, so 2012, 2013, you saw a ton of people who were tech who became PMs. Yep. There were a huge influx. So I was one of them, right? Like, I mean, like, and I had to teach myself that the first five years I thought tech was cool. After doing product for five years, I realized, man, I need to unlearn everything I learned. I, I cannot be an engineer to solve the problem. That's not how I achieve product market fit. But how do I do this? Who's going to teach me this? Who did teach you this? There was one guy who did. It was totally unexpected. I never thought he would teach me. Uh, but this was at Wompley. Uh, there's a guy called Toby Scammell, who's still the CEO of uh, Wompley, and he's the co-founder. He basically taught me how to ship. So when I joined Wompley, right, so one of the things that they had done is they had scaled their SaaS business to 30,000 merchants in, in, in the entire, in the whole of US on a target market of 2 million merchants or SMBs in, 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 in the US. They had scaled to 30,000, which was like, if you look at it from a target market standpoint, that's pretty good penetration for a B2B product at 30,000, which looks like a B2C scale, mm. where the price point of the product was like 30 bucks a month. And uh, when I joined, he basically, uh, what interested me about them was like, I'd seen a, tip, a lot of SaaS companies, which went directly, whether it was enterprise SaaS or SaaS. But what interested me was that they were trying to do white label SaaS. Oh, that's a hard, that's hard. That's like really hard. But they did it beautifully. They did beautifully. Why do you think that is? Because they partnered with credit card processors. And when an SDR calls, right? Mm-hmm. How do you call, right? So I'm calling from, let's say, a pure, like, let's take Squadcast, right? So it's a SaaS. Uh, so they call and say, hey, I'm calling from Squadcast. I want to talk to you about like a new product offering that I have. Uh, typically, the, the, the person who's basically lifts up the call, they say, I've never heard of Squadcast. What is it? Yep. And then you have to explain it. Yep. But the beauty of the sale on the Wompley side, which I actually have listened to multiple calls, uh, handcrafted multiple scripts, changed them for new products and so on. The, 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 immediately when an SDR calls, he says, I'm calling from North America Bank Card, your current credit card processor. I have a new product offering for you. And I'm, I'm actually about to spend five minutes in, in, uh, in explaining this. As soon as you hear this, the merchant says, wow, oh, yeah, yeah, North America Bank Card. Okay, what is the offer? Whoa. So CAC was 50 bucks from time to the call. And 50 bucks is like, this is sales cost, right? Like sales cost was like 12 bucks an hour SDR uh, in, in San Francisco. And, and of course, eventually we moved to Utah for cost effectiveness. Wow. This worked. This worked. Wow. So when you do, 
when you look for as a product guy and unit economics i was about awesome. to say the unit economics of what you just described is mind blowing exactly what and 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 you hear this you're like man sign me up i want in now wow wow and and we started out with um with starting out one basic product that we got right which scaled to 150000 accounts uh 5x growth in the two and a half years where i was there along that time in the two and a half years i built a team of 12 pms launched eight products grew saas revenue from like 5 6 mil to like 27 million revenue uh, fastest product i ever shipped i took it to market in 3 months unbelievable uh, it's like some of these products that i worked on were like phenomenal like for example one of the product that i worked on was bish shield so imagine we were talking to merchants one at a time so the board came back and told us like guys enough selling one by one we need to scale this even faster it was like figure out a product that you can take to market that can scale much faster so our business development guys came back and said shrikant and toby like together is like what if we basically sold in packages instead of 30 bucks product let's make it 5 bucks and sell it as a freebie let let north america bank card charge whatever but we'll charge 5 bucks per account and let's roll it out to 20000 accounts at once that, that was business development right so trying to basically say can we sell this at all at once yeah yeah what happened so what i did is i mean if you think about platform as a strategy right that's exactly when if you remember maybe you must have read about during 2014 2015 time there was a lot of platform strategies that were huge on product side yeah. a lot of people were doing it but like there were no specific examples on how to apply it hmm. so we said okay if we want a platform strategy here we can't actually deploy a product with onboarding activation and so on so forth all like the typical saas metrics we can't actually scale this so so what we ended up doing is we just took our entire data piped it into marketo created templates for our our credit card processor it was 1 pm who configured marketo in 3 months we had emails going out to those 20000 merchants wow that's it that's all we did from 0 to 6 months the revenue was at 5 million wow what so question that's all we did wait so it seems like such a when you describe it it seems like such a simple solution yeah for but what took us a long time to figure it out that that's in, wow so i mean i am so convinced i think all of us are convinced it's it's execution that matters at the end of the day it's it's all about that Yeah. So, and, and of course we use OKRs, right? Like So this is where I want to unpack. So, so let's talk we about so OKRs. Yeah, we were, we were so adamant about OKRs, right? So So uh, why? Then, uh, why? So A, when you arrived, did they have OKRs in place already? If no, like how did this evolve? So they had OKRs in place already. Okay. But OKRs got very scarily complex. So like if you look at my archi experience you could say i tried okrs and it failed because i i was i was not a practitioner there were no articles about it i mean if you look at 2012 2013 era there were nothing right so you, there was just like oh google did this right oh what 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 could we do about it yeah that was the, that was the era 
So at, at Warmly, it was very interesting because if you remember what I said, like we had one product, mm-hmm. which we took, took to market, uh, which was very successful with very great unit economics. But then this was the era of like the upsell and the cross sell, right? Mm-hmm. What can we actually sell on top of our core product offering, which was basically all it was doing is analytics. So um, there was a saying that we would always say, it's a, hey, it's Paris Hilton, but it makes no sense right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all analytics, but I can't do, really do much about it. It tells me, yeah, share a wallet, but so what? So then we started doing marketing automation. We did reputation protection. We did like chat applications and so on. All these products we could take to market on a customer base of 100,000 merchants, and we could slice and dice upselling like crazy. So think about like you take 10,000 merchants, you could say, okay, I want to sell reputation defense to them. Hmm. Now, what happened as a result of it, we started thinking, okay, product is good. We are, then we started thinking about like, okay, can we do this Amazon style? What would you describe as Amazon style? In some ways, it's like there's a product line manager and everybody reports to him to basically take it to market. Okay. I had all of the product org under me, but I was also general manager for two of the product lines. Okay. So it was like a matrix org of sorts. So though we were the management team, I've been reporting to the CEO. Um, so there was a lot of like product lines where engineering was reporting to me too. So it's kind of like a weird matrix. Uh, and of course, like I had to basically make um, do board updates for the product lines that I actually owned. So I, I launched a messenger application. So I thought we could be like the Slack for uh, SMBs. Um, How'd it go? Uh, the simple use case or the pain point that we were trying to tackle was if a, an hourly worker does not show up, how does a business owner actually get in touch with someone? Ah, I see. Okay. So there was a portfolio of products and each portfolio of the product, you know, of course, when you have like 10 products in your portfolio, can you come up with a vision statement that makes sense? Did you? I don't think that sounds hard. We, we, we basically gave it up. Like, so our vision statement, <laughs> which I remember even now, is help uh, small medium businesses uh, simplify, grow, and protect their business. That's it. I think that, that was the mission statement. Okay. But all product lines were like one was like marketing automation, one was reputation protection, and then at some point we said, okay, we're we're going to be the back office for all SMBs or back office support for all, all of SMBs. See, that's a good that's a good vision. Like that sounds visionary. That makes sense. Yeah. But, but if you break it down to OKRs, right? Like how, how do you do that for eight to 10 product portfolios each? So I had GMs reporting to me. I was a GM myself. And then there were GMs who were actually running it because it was pure sales. Okay. Play. Right. Because they had to take care of the unit economics. Right? They had 100 salespeople trying to, I mean, we were onboarding the peak. We hit 1,000 accounts per week. Wow. That's pretty good. Hence, we fundraise with private equity. Well, that makes sense too. So, okay, you got eight, you got eight products. You got you formalized some sort of, or formulated some sort of evolution path for the vision, which is now we're gonna be the back offices of SMBs. Great, you're GM. You got a bunch of GMs. You had an experience where you had OKRs, but there was no literature. There was no guidance. It was Google did it. Yeah. That's how they grew. If they grew using it, why don't we? So you did that. What happened here that catapulted you all to this next level? Because what you're describing for me is probably what our listeners want to know. 
uh, Shrikant, what yeah. took you to the next level? How did you get there with OKRs? So can we unpack this? So, so I think it was, I think for me personally, I was, at least at Wampley, I realized I was really good at execution. That's I clear. Was very good. That, that sounds clear. I was very, very good at execution. The CEO loved me for it. I mean, I could basically, I mean, when I left Wampley, I had written 2,700 Jira tickets, probably, like, and super detailed ones, right? Like everybody, like I said, the gold standard of how PRDs, like I was a really good senior PM. But what drove me to the success factor is the love for figuring out the product market fit. Mm. That we were very clear. And we killed a lot of products, left, right, and center. We didn't care. We would I say didn't... like, hey, we'll try, we'll try it. If it doesn't work, we'll kill it. Did you have OKRs around that? Like, can you talk through the mechanics about this? Because this is the secret sauce. I mean, you have stuff in your head that dreams with deadlines, people who are listening to this want to know. Let's unpack it for real. So organizationally, when we initially started out, our OKRs were mostly uh, to one product line. So as Elon Musk says, uh, right, uh, align your vectors. Aligning vectors is the most simplest thing of achieving OKRs because as a team, you need to move to one direction, right? So this is very clear in one product portfolio company. It's very easy to think about it. Okay. But what we understood when we were launching many products is that the CEO cannot basically make decisions by himself. Okay. It has to basically get deep, pushed down. And back then, my thinking was the product guy, I mean, of course, like people say, like the product manager is the CEO and all that. I actually don't believe this. But back then, I did believe it. Sorry to say. It's, 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 I did believe it in 2016, 2015 period, that product manager is, is, the, is the guy. Uh, but the true thing, uh, which was good, was that the the power was actually uh, pushed down to the PM or the general manager, right? So, and and I treated my PMs as general managers, and I hired from all sorts of like whether it's marketing, political science, anthropology. I don't really. You were agnostic. Really you were agnostic to the education. I didn't care. Okay. At that point, it already had switched. Twenty fifteen, I was already there in terms of maturity that. I don't need a technical person to make this happen. What did you need? I think uh, back then, my answer, if you had spoken to me then, it was more about empathy. Okay. It was about understanding. It's about like, can you actually imagine yourself in the shoes of the customer? Can you actually feel what he's feeling? So, so, so one of the things that we did as, which Toby was so adamant about, he would tell us, if you want to ship something, you better go sit at the restaurant where he's using your product. He was like super adamant. And we basically lived that. Every PM, I mean, we had customers in San Francisco. We would go there and sit down and I ask them like, hey, how would you use this? How would you use that? And everybody took ownership. And people knew, I mean, you could do a lot of OKRs, but they knew why they were doing those OKRs. And they, were, they knew that they also had, we had this capability, we had this, we had this approval process in uh, on a quarterly basis, which is very funny. It's uh, I call this the cage fight now, where PMs had to come and say, this is what I want to do. And I basically look there and say like, yeah, no funding. And that could happen any quarter. What would... Any quarter. So, wait, this is... This, it feels contradictory because on the one hand, you said the CEO cannot 
manage all of the different product business lines. There's no way he can try to do this on his own. Great. So now you have a bunch of leads, right? You have these directors for each of the product lines. Awesome. You have eight, let's say. Yeah. Then you're you're heading this up. These people are coming in front uh, who are owning the responsibility of what it is that they want to do or advance to the business. And you were effectively, I hate to say it, it, fe- it feels like gladiator, man. Someone, <laughs> seriously, like Caesar is sitting up there and he's got the thumbs up. Or he's got the thumbs down. Is that seriously how it went? No, no, I'm not trying to say that, right? But it, it literally, I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm trying to dramatize it. But, uh, <laughs> Can you describe honestly, the cage fight? Because I know you've mentioned it to me before, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure people would want to know like, okay, this is this is an interesting take on OKRs. So, you know, most people- So, are, so, so the thing know? is, as a company, right? The thing is, whenever you're growing, especially when you're between series A to C, yeah. I have been in this zone way too many times, right? Right. Series A to C is the is the is the era of like you have so many great ideas, but I wish I had hundred engineers. Mm. Every single PM would would agree with me. If if only I had ten more engineers. Yep. And that's a feeling, right? You you know this. You like like you're so close to it, and and you're you're trying to say like, man, I wish I could do this feature, but you can't. You can't, right? And that's basically what I'm trying to say. It's a cage fight, right? It's like literally you're trying to do this and the CEO has to decide. So literally like what I've been caught in between, right? Between very talented PMs and the CEO, I would ask the CEO, dude, like you need to pick three things I you want to get done this quarter. They should be directional. And those things, we will align the vectors to whatever you guys are doing, whatever you've decided. And I'm going to align the entire company for that. That's the focus. Right? That's basically what my job is, right? Like if you look at CPO or VP or whatever the title is, right? That's my job. But he needs to pick those three things because I am not the boss of the sales, which is why I don't believe that a PM is a CEO of the business. It doesn't work. Mm. But he needs to pick, pick, pick the focus and say, I care about these three things. And why three things? Because... In, even in OKRs, right? People say they, it only makes sense when and when when the most bottom of the pyramid person can repeat, this is what we're trying to do. I agree with that. And at the end of the day, he needs to say, hey, whatever I'm doing moves the needle at the top, right? Mm-hmm. And then you keep repeating it again and again and again and again. But the reason I call it cage fight is mostly because you can't do it all. And then you're trying to say, to convince people like why that should not be done, which is why I've come up with a concept of, Product management benching. Okay, what so is that? Similar to sports, right? So, like similar to sports, right? So I, so when I was a PM, I would basically think I, I need a team. It needs to be with me all the time, and I need to keep growing it. But as I realized, as a as a VP of product or whatever title, right? So what I've realized is like I can't give you five people all all the year. Maybe I can give you five this quarter. I'll give you 10, maybe the quarter after. And during the time that you are not executing, you are doing discovery. That's the key, it sounds like. That's key. And that's going into like, I mean, if you can apply the best framework that I am a big fan of, I just today attended a masterclass for JTBD. 
I am such uh, a fan of jobs to be done. Such a fan, right? Such it's a the fan. only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing that makes sense. I actually have a, a podcast episode recorded with um, Alan Cl- <laughs> who who wrote the book uh, When Coffee and Kale Complete. He's actually coming out with a second book. When he explained to me his evolution of thinking on jobs to be done, it blew my mind. Because he it it what he said to me was, Jenny, when you go to a store and you're trying to make a purchase decision and you're looking at all of the different options that are going to suit whatever it is that you need because it's unmet, you have an unmet need, you're doing this calculus in your mind. And that's what every customer is doing for every everything that they're evaluating to buy. And so our responsibility as product people is to understand that mindset and all of the categories that they're going through as they're making that buy purchase decision, which is, does this get me further in the progress that I want to make? Is it the right price point? Is the messaging specific to me? Like, does this make sense? Does it hit home for me? Like there's criteria for this stuff. And and, and, and and also the framework is, is is extensively applicable, right? Absolutely. But you never you you never think about this, right? The, the, all this maturity in product didn't exist. So what I I see myself, right? Like it's which is also why I say I have learned by failing. Yeah. I failed most of my products. I, I I wasn't the most smartest guy. I did it the hard way. It was super hard, right? Like nobody was there to tell me what an MVP was, right? Like hmm. I don't even know what an MVP was back in two thousand eight. <laughs> your any PM who starts out six months is going to come and tell me what an MVP is. <laughs> but until probably three years, I I was the idiot who didn't know. <laughs> it's okay because I mean that's that's how we learn. Like you know, you learn through honestly, you learn through failing. When you're thinking through OKRs and you're aligning your vectors, that means things. It doesn't mean no forever. That's what you're saying. It means yeah. no right no. now. Yeah. And you just have to deal. And the way that you deal is that you learn. You are discovering and learning more about the customer. One way to do that is JTBD for sure. Like trying to understand like what progress are they trying to make? Did you have... I mean, also, also yeah. OKRs, right? Yeah. The reason, like if you apply JTBD and OKR, right? So this is also going to the... the, 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 the please excuse me using the word cage fight, but... No, it's fine. The, 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 the thing that for me was like, even OKRs, and I've mentioned this when we met earlier, right? For me, optimizing a metric doesn't mean success. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what I like about quantifying the key result. It, it, and, and, I've, and I've been there, done that, right? It's like, like yeah, click rate is 60% to 80%. And when we met, there were a lot of people arguing, oh, what, what, what would happen if you don't have a metric? And I'm like, who cares? Improve it. My key result is that if you look at NPS, right? It's like, say I want to increase NPS. Sure. Right? What is click rate going to do with it, right? Or some other metric, some vanity metric that doesn't mean anything. For example, like when you're looking at a decision-making on a quarter over quarter basis as a CPO, right? There are 10 ideas, 10 hypotheses, right? At some point, you make a judgment of cutting five of them. Mm-hmm. That's not some metric. You're saying this is what I believe in or I don't believe in, right? And then you need to empower people. Like, let's it's basically, I also use this uh, uh, phrase you never know how much uh, lemon is there to squeeze. 
You never know. You mentioned that. So, so it, you never know, right? And and you're sitting there, you're trying to say, okay, how much is success? And and you could be, you could achieve product market fit with amazing NPS by I'm just putting this as a simple metric, uh, but click rate goes from 10% to 12%. You can still have amazing NPS. People love it. Use the product or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And and why put the metric as 20%? Like, why? What would you do instead? Pick up OKRs that make sense, right? OKRs make, make sense. Like, you don't need to have a key result, which is all about quantifying every single uh, thing. It's a People get to analysis paralysis. I can't, if you actually yeah. truly, if you truly get to JTBD, right? It's about understanding needs and 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 outcome driven innovation. Yes. You you then basically map out needs and say where are the underserved needs, and you attack them like crazy. Silicon Valley works because everybody thinks they're good, so they raise their hand and ask the question. But if you look at other cultures, they take boss as the as the directive, and yeah, yeah I think we have to put our heads down and get it done, right? Sure. So there's a bit of like cultural aspects to it. So I I, I I wouldn't know the context in which this would occur. Mm-hmm. But if if challenging the status quo is a cultural value, right? Which gets which gets again, culture is also a huge topic that we could spend hours on. Oh, good God, yes. Uh, so if if you could basically say uh, challenging status quo is is a value that is kind of understood by everyone, where they raise the hand and say, Hey, I don't understand it. Explain it to me. And there's a town hall meeting where the CEO, without ego, can basically take the his own employees firing at him hard questions, right? Mm. And he has the ability to answer that because it's his responsibility to make sure those OKRs come come to success. It's not the other way around. It's not like an engineer who is uh, putting up the machines for a three hundred thousand dollars spend. It's his accountability. He's he's actually paying that employee. Absolutely. And you can't go back and say, like, you you effed up. Like, tell me why you did this. Like, it makes no sense. If he's not empowered and he's thinking, yeah, I'm just doing this job. I don't know why they asked me to do it. Yeah, let me just do it and leave. One of the hardest things on OKRs, right? With at least going back to our original topic, accountability and responsibility are the two things that I look for teams to really be successful in OKRs. If they cannot take their own fate in their hands, there's no way you will succeed. And there's always going to be this finger pointing of like, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Right? And it's just going to be like all back to square one. Can you just... Which is why also like I... I the, the reason like where, why I have basically come to a state where... I'm not a big believer of the metric being like super aggressive is sometimes um, teams think like the backpedal is like, oh yeah, we hit 70%, I'm good for this quarter. I would rather have, you put it at 70% and the team gets to 100%. And then this OKR thing, they say, oh, I think on average, you need to hit 70% of your metrics. So they basically uh, (laughs) sign up in a way they only hit 70%. So it's like, man, come on, let's, this is not, for example, like, can you today, Jenny, if I ask you, is hitting 70% of OKRs the leading indicator for success for a company? Leading indicator is you can't motivate a team by just saying, oh, yeah, it's okay, hitting 70%. 
the team will be like yeah i don't care or i am basically not going to be feel responsible or somebody like like a simple thing right in in california from a culture standpoint you expected engineers to get up in the night and fix the issue it was almost like to you created the bug you fix it that was the thought process we could talk a lot about culture right now right mm. it goes back to that because i mean the, the same things uh, uh uh fighting against status quo right that is one uh second is uh, do they care about do they have craftsmanship into what they are doing do they have pride in it mm. do they feel like uh, do they feel that something it's going to have like if you look at the um, forget this hierarchy in you know, this proposed by harvard uh is there functional value in it is it like badge value <laughs> do i feel prestige if i do this there's nothing right if the company does not say that we value you as an employee the, the guy is going to say like dude i don't care if i do it or not that's a, i yeah that's totally fair i I agree. I mean, culture plays a big part in it. Like culture matters in this conversation. One. And two, because of that, the calibration of ambition matters. Because what does 70% actually mean? I would argue. And then yeah. the third thing I would add to that because I've been thinking through this a lot. And I this is where I agree with you. and i hope that this exists in organizations that decide to adopt okrs is that there is that accountability and responsibility that is explicitly stated when okrs are set that 70% hopefully maybe would even be a floor for some organizations rather than the ceiling which is what you're suggesting it might be an issue i hit 70% i'm good i hit the ceiling i'm done i'll move on next uh but what if we did and imbue what i think is the spirit of okrs which is audacity like this is a this this is audacious and we want to be exceptional and that's really hard that takes a lot of care I would say it takes a lot of leadership. It takes a lot of uh you know paying honestly paying attention to what is actually happening what the what's moving, what's not moving. And as you said, like if people are held responsible to, for things and held accountable for things, then that means when things happen and numbers are moving in one direction or another, people have to quote unquote hold account like yeah. what happened and what will happen to that individual or those individuals that signed themselves up for it like that is yeah. key because if nothing happens no one will care why because in their internal calculus it doesn't matter yeah so for this what i've done again though i i am talking about accountability and responsibility right i do want to say what i've done to fix it right so what i usually measure um for my own teams right as i've grown and managed engineering orgs and so on what i've done it's not like a culture survey kind of things but what i try to look at is if first overall like do they actually believe in the company's mission and what we are trying to do right mm. uh, strongly agree to strongly disagree 
leadership? Do they believe in like from strongly agree to uh, strongly disagree and so on? Like a Likert scale, uh, basically. Le- like yeah, leadership, enablement, alignment, and development, right? So it's basically uh, overall, it's basically like it's NPS. You could say NPS, right? <laughs> oh, overall, do you, do you do you agree with the company or not? Like strongly agree is like awesome. You're trying to increase the percentage there. Do they believe in the leaders they have, which is managers, everybody they they report to, right? Middle management and so on. Are they being enabled to do their job, right? Like literally, like is is the environment in a good place that you can actually achieve your things? Alignment, right? Like the alignment, going back to the align your vectors, right? Are they aligned to what is being said? Leaders are saying they're creating the environment and they're saying these are the three things that are important. Are you are you aligned to that? And Along the way, the reason I asked development is like, as I'm doing it, am I having fun and learning? Man, if we can actually do all of this, your OKRs are going to be out of the park every single time. Like with 60%, 70%, 80%, right? It's like, man, the team is awesome. It's kicking butt. So do you do this in the form of a survey? Do you do this in the form yeah. of an OKR? Every quarter. Every quarter. Every quarter. It is, it is a personal thing that I do to make sure I have a pulse check of, it's not, it's not, it's not measured as an OKR. I'm basically trying to see, am I creating an environment? Am I basically aligning people? Am I developing people? This is your am KPI. I this is your organizational. This is my KPI. Yeah. This has nothing to do with uh, any of the OKRs. That's cool. And if I do that, my OKRs are going to be out of the park, anything. And if it's not, if those numbers. I mean, I have homework, right? I need to find out why that happened. And improve it. Improve it, of course. The actual action plan where I can focus on. I feel like that was probably the most helpful gem that I've heard so far on how, what foundation do you need in order to make the, any kind of OKRs rollout successful that I've heard to date. No one has ever articulated, you need to start here. And here's a way to frame it. So thank you for that. Like that was super helpful. I have something to now think about uh, and and munch on. We have had an amazing session. I don't know about you, but we've talked about everything under the sun. It feels like, <laughs> and I've really enjoyed it. Surveys and culture, and you know, like yeah. And it's but again like it's, yeah. it's a bit controversial, but I think it's all my learnings. This is nothing that I read in a book. No, I mean that was super obvious. I. I mean, there was one moment during this conversation where you said, Jenny, I, I just didn't know what I was doing. I, I want to uh, just thank you and applaud you for your sincerity on the one and, and two, the authenticity. Like if there's anything that I can say now about Srikant, like besides being obviously an exceptional product person, like I think people will just feel that on this episode is that you're a stellar you're a stellar guest. I've really enjoyed having you on the show. And this has been really incredible learning for me. Uh, and so thank you for sharing your journey so that I can improve in, in my understanding of how to do things with my teams and, and in product in, in specific. So thanks, Shrikant. I appreciate it. Thanks for being on the show. No worries. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. Well, that's it for this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com radio. If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. 
If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. Tune in next time. Thank you.